Aaron's team just led us in very sobering but very clear worship of we looked at the death and burial of Christ. And then this morning, many of us were out at uh, our place this morning and uh, watched the sun come up and spoke of the truths and the resurrection and seeing it through from Old Testament, New Testament, that it has been proven the, the resurrection of Christ. And then this morning, to hear that song is really a depiction of John chapter 20, which we will study today, um, right now. On behalf of the elders, I just want to greet all of you. We are, we're glad you're here. If you don't have a church family and um, somewhere where you attend on a regular basis, we would ask you to come. Come be a part of this. Come grow and learn here. And if you need any help, we're available. Elders are scattered out around here, and, and uh, maybe they'll come up afterwards. If you need to talk after this and want to just say, hey, here's what's going on in my life, we'd love to meet with you and pray with you and see if we encourage you. Why don't you take your Bibles and let's stand one more time. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18 is our text. I am amazed how God worked all this out. I've been, for those that are new here or visiting, um, I've been preaching through the book of John. We landed on John chapter 20 um, for Easter at Resurrection Sunday, and we are um, very glad to be at this passage. So follow along as I read. We'll read the first 18 verses and then preach our way down through it. John chapter 20, verse 1 reads this way. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciples went forth and They were going to the tomb, and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came and following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrapping lying there, and the face cloth which had been around his head, not lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and he believed. For for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus has been, had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have taken him or laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and announced, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. You may be seated.
Father, we thank you for the word of God. It truly is our guide to understand you. Lord, you have given us the word of God to understand and know you, to have a relationship with you. We thank you that we hold it in our hands. We can study it, read it. We can know that what you have revealed to us. Lord, we thank you that that we can read this morning that there is a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and there were those who experienced it. They saw Jesus and knew he was alive. Lord, there's so much more to it, Lord. It isn't just a resurrected Jesus that was gonna return to to another ministry. This was a Jesus that finished everything. It was all done. And he was ascending to his father. And there you are, Lord, now as we even pray this prayer. You sit at the right hand of the father waiting for all things to be put under your footstool. Lord, we know that day is coming. So it is with great joy we serve a resurrected savior. And we know we'll serve him for all of eternity. So Lord, may you be glorified and magnified here as we speak and talk and preach about you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When you start to think about the resurrection, it is amazing. We looked at this morning many different accounts of eyewitnesses' accounts. We talked about the, the fulfillment of Scripture, the Old Testament, the fulfillment of at least 11 times the Lord Jesus Christ said he was going to raise from the dead. Uh, we, we looked at the effects of the gospel, the effects of the resurrection on the disciples' lives, on women like Mary Magdalene, the effects of the gospel, the resurrected Savior on our lives, how it affects us, how it changes our lives when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by no means do we qualify our faith by evidence. Certainly there's plenty of evidence within the scriptures and that is important that the scriptures were true and right and we support them. But we are saved through faith alone. By faith we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. There is no justification. Romans is very clear in this book of Galatians and all of the New Testament that you do not come to justification, being free from your sin, being declared righteous to be in presence of God by evidence. We are saved by faith. We are saved by faith in Jesus. And so there are many people in the world who believe there was a Jesus, a historical Jesus, that walked on the earth and died, and some even believe he would raised from the dead. But it isn't until you place your faith solely in the Lord Jesus Christ do you find salvation. Our faith is in him. It is in him alone. So as we go down through this passage, which is a glorious passage, Understand that revelation is still coming to them. They're still trying to figure out what the Old Testament was saying because that's the Bible they had. And they are putting it all together very quickly who this Jesus is and what he has accomplished. And we get to witness this now 2,000 years later. We get to watch this empty tomb. We get to watch this scene that unfolds in front of us. And we praise the Lord for that. Today, you'll notice that really just a couple of characters are really focused on here. Certainly the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the center of the text, as he is in all texts. But it is also two people that really center the thought that John does. First of all, it's himself. John focuses on himself and his belief and why he's writing this to us. He focuses on himself as he comes and believes in verse 8. And then he turns the narrative to the story of Mary Magdalene and her belief and that she in the end says, I have seen Jesus. 
And what a beautiful illustration this is of two people coming to a grip of who their Savior is. Let's look at verse 1 as we work our way down through it. First, the resurrected Christ and John's most defining moment as this works up to this. Verse 1 says, Now it was the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and she was with the other women we know, but this counts taking in uh, uh, one view of it here. And she came early to the tomb while it was still dark. We were out there in the dark this morning, those of you brave souls that were with us. uh, We were out there in the dark this morning as we gathered. So did Mary. And we know she didn't come alone because they would have not walked alone in, in these days. It was dangerous for a woman to be alone. So we know the other women were with us. But John's focusing on her and himself in this passage. And she saw the stone had been taken away. This was, a, this was something she was worried about. It was dark. She, she couldn't see well. She's working her way to the tomb. The women had been discussing. You see that in the other synopsis of the Gospels that they were discussing, how are we going to get this stone moved? What are we going to do with this thing? We watched Joseph and Nicodemus struggle to get this thing closed. How are we going to get this thing open? And it's on her mind, and she's worried about that and anxious over that. And it's dark. The other thought is they're coming to the tomb because they want to finish the preparation of Jesus' body. Mark chapter 16, verse 3 tells us that the women had been anxious about the stone and they were worried about the preparation that they wanted to complete. You know, gals, the guys did this. We got to go fix it. You got two men doing this, you know? We got we to get things done right here. But how are we going to deal with that stone? Verse 2 starts to describe Mary's first reaction. She, so she ran and came to Simon Peter. So this, this stone is moved. The other women stay there. The angels appear to, to them. But Mary takes off. The stone's moved. There's no body. She runs to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John's referring to himself in a third person there. And says to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we, we us women, we do not know where they have laid him. She's describing, John's describing her reactions. Her first is to go and tell the men. Go tell the guys. Go tell them what's going on. She comes to Peter. and Peter seems still to be the representative for the group, even though he's denied Christ three times. She, she tells him, and, and, and here she's talking to Peter, it says in verse 3. And Peter reacts. And in the disciple whom John loves, this is Peter and, and John, these kind of inner circle that were with the Lord constantly. He says, look, they've taken the body of Jesus. I mean, they, they watch. The Bible tells us in the other synopsis that the Marys watched where they buried Jesus so they knew where to go see him on Sunday morning. Their hearts are heavy. His body is gone. Verse three, so Peter and the other disciple went forth and, and, and they were going to the tomb. This describes Peter and John's immediate reactions. Boom, they're off and gone. Immediately upon hearing this news, they bolt for the tomb. And it seems to be a dead out sprint. John being very humble, I think, here doesn't say I whipped Peter on the way there. <laughs> but he says, um, running together, the other disciple outran. He ran faster than Peter and came I don't know if John knew a shortcut. Um, some people said Peter was older. There's nothing in the text that tells us that. It may be true. Maybe John had a better GPS iPhone than 
whatever you're using. He cuts through somewhere and he gets there. However he gets there, he gets there first, doesn't he? Look at verse 5. And, and John immediately stoops and looks in. He sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he doesn't go in. There's a hesitation. John's careful. He's thinking. He's trying to put all this together. The last things he heard from Jesus was, woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. He was commanded to take care of Mary. And then he heard those great words, it's finished, it's done, and he gives up his spirit. That's the last thing he's heard from the Lord Jesus. And now the women are saying he's not there. He peers into the tomb and and yet doesn't go in. But verse 6, quickly we see Simon Peter catch up, hustling along. He followed him. And and here's Peter, didn't you just love him? Boom, in the tomb. He's just in. He enters the tomb and he saw the linens lying there. He wastes no time. He runs right past John, right into the tomb. What would you do? Just out of just thought for yourself. Do you, would you just run into a tomb? <laughs> I mean, I get scared watching scary movies. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think I'd probably be more the reaction of John in some way. And, but yet Peter, you've got to imagine what Peter's gone through. He's denied his Lord. He hasn't been able to clear that up yet. It's, it's overwhelming to him. He, he's, he's heard that he's died and he gave up his, his spirit. And, and I don't know if Peter was at the, at the cross. The Bible doesn't tell us. Most likely Peter watched from a distance. And now his Savior's gone. And, and, and knowing Peter, he, he wants to get this right. And he runs into the tomb. Wanting to see his Savior. Verse 7 says, The face cloth which had been on their heads was not lying near the linens, but rolled up in its place of itself. Much has been made about the grave clothes and the positioning of the grave clothes, and people write books on that. And I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think what the Bible is trying to describe to us, that whatever the situation has, and the limited understanding we have from the text here, is it describes a very orderly scene. They're not grave robbers. Grave robbers don't take time. Oh, let's take all this off, pile this here. Oh, hey, get the head. It's a very orderly scene. This is one God has set up. That's what we know about it. It's clear this means grave robbers had not taken the body. And Peter and John start to look at this. And they start to wonder what this is. And notice verse 8. This is a beautiful verse of John. So the other disciple, that's John, who had first come to the tomb, then he also entered and he saw, what's that word? And he believed. Pistos, word we get faith, belief from. He put his faith in Jesus. He put his faith, he believed that he, 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 he did not lie. He, he resurrected just as he said he would. It seemed that John had now come to the glorious point of belief that the resurrection had taken place, but that he didn't completely understand everything that was taking place. Look at verse 9. Notice verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that, had, that he must rise again from the dead. See, we're, they didn't put it all together. And why is that? I don't think we would have. There are several reasons. They still were trying to, right before, the night before his death, they were arguing over who could sit at his right hand and left hand. That tells you they were still struggling of a need for a savior. 
They were still wanting the kingdom of God to come upon the earth and Jesus be the Messiah, the anointed one, and they would rule and reign with him. They were still putting it all together, what these Old Testament passages mean, linking Jesus to Isaiah 53. Go there with me real quick, Isaiah 53. I imagine many times, as from the understanding of verse 9, that they had read this text, Isaiah 53. Jesus claimed this text was about him in Luke 4, but they did not fully understand it. They were not putting the Old Testament text. Remember, there was no New Testament yet. Peter and John were gonna be part of the writers of the New Testament. So they're trying to connect these Old Testament texts with the risen, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 53, 10 with me. These are overwhelming passages when now that we on the other side of the cross can put this together the other side of the resurrection can put this together they are overwhelming and this is exactly how you and I read it today this is what's going to happen to Peter and John and the disciples and Paul and others as they read this and understand these to be about the Lord Jesus Christ verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says but the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief that's a good translation of that word right there It pleased God to crush the son on our behalf. That means he put his full weight of wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ for you and I, for those who believe by faith. If he would render himself a guilt offering, that's right out of Leviticus 16, that something had to die in place of the people. Jesus did that. Isn't that glorious? Think about this for a moment. Jesus not only takes your sin away, he takes your guilt away. What are you and I gonna do with our guilt? Our lies, our cheating, our lust. All the, what are you gonna do with that guilt? Give money in the offering? A few deep knee bends? See, Jesus is the guilt offering for you and I when our faith is in him. This this is massive when you start to understand. They're starting to put this together, that Jesus isn't just going to come here and reign. He was here for more than that. He is going to come and reign someday. Peter and John know that. But now they're starting to get their mind around the spot that, oh, he was much more than that. Look at the rest of the verse. He will see his offspring. This is resurrection. He will prolong his days. There's more believers coming. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The Lord is going to prosper. Every knee will bow. All homage will be given to the Lord. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul. And believe me, he anguished. Starts in the garden the night before where he drops sweats of blood. Sweats of blood, sweat, drops sweat like blood. I mean, what he went through that night was overwhelming as he was preparing himself to separate for the Father so he could be judged. The verse says he will see it and be satisfied. That's God. He'll look at Jesus and be satisfied. That's propitiation. And by his knowing the righteous one, my servant will justify many. Oh, I love those words. That's us. That's the believers. Justified. He will declare righteous many. I hope you're part of that. I hope you're part of that this morning. I hope you're justified before the Father. Because when you pass from this life, whether by death or by rapture, you have to stand and you're either justified, declared righteous by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you've got to bring your own stuff. 
And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so, look, Jesus, the servant, came and justified many, and he will bear their iniquities. He, he bore them. This is what, how we get justified. We couldn't die. You could kill us a thousand times over, and we could never justify our lives. Therefore, look at this beautiful verse. I, God, will allot him, Jesus, the portion with the great and give him the, d- divide the booty and, and will divide the beauty with the strong. He's gonna share in the kingdom of God with those who follow him because he has poured out himself to death and was numbered with transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and intercedes for transgressors. This is probably one of many passages that John ha- did not put together yet, but he was going to. You say, well, what are some others? Well, John 16, I mean, uh, Psalm 16.10 is another passage. I will not let his body see decay. Well, who's that? David wrote Psalm 16. Paul says, look, we have David's body with us. It did see decay. His bones are still here. So who's this talking about? See, they start putting this together. They started looking at the Old Testament going, there's a resurrection coming. There's someone that's coming to die who will raise from the dead. And they're starting to see these things come together. Look, believers did not manufacture the resurrection to agree with their interpretation of prophecy. They first were convinced that Jesus was raised. And in light of the truth of the resurrection, they came to see the fuller meaning through the Old Testament passages. They go, he's not here anymore. He's raised from the dead. Oh, that's what John 16 means. Oh, that's what Isaiah 53 means. See, they knew their Bibles. They just didn't put it together that it was Christ that it was speaking about. Then also think about John 16, 13, when Jesus says, I must go, and if I go, I'll send you the helper, and he will take of mine and give it to you. He will bring back to remembrance all these things. He'll connect everything that's done with me. And in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit fills the room and disciples and the 120 followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God falls upon them and now they begin to understand. And Peter walks out of there and he goes and preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved and he connects everything to Christ. He preaches a sermon fully out of the Old Testament and says, that's Jesus risen from the dead. And that's what these verses back in John mean. When you look at this, it says, not that they had yet connected all of this, John chapter 20, verse eight. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. They're putting all that together. And and a fascinating study for this week is just go read the book of Acts. I know some of our home groups are in Acts. And you you start to see these men become empowered by the, the resurrection. They start to preach like they've never preached before. They know it's gonna be their death. They know they're gonna lose their heads They're gonna, James dies, they take his head off. Uh, Peter, they crucified upside down. Others' disciples were stoned to death. They know it, they're gripped by the resurrected Savior and their lives are completely changed. And I think they start singing like we're singing. And I think they start preaching like we still preach 2,000 years later because they were absolutely gripped by a resurrected Savior. Look at Mary, the second thought, the resurrected Christ and Mary Magdalene's passion for her Savior. Oh, you gotta love this text. The Bible says that Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed woman. And believe me, everything else she was involved with came with that. Demons just don't come and say, up and, oh, let's, uh, let's be holy. <laughs> they hate holiness. They love wickedness. This woman was trapped in her sin. 
She was an open door to the path of the Satan's demons. And Jesus Christ saves this woman, brings her to himself, opens her mind, floods her mind with the knowledge of Jesus, and she becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we can safely say when we look at Mary that her life was Christ. She had nothing else. What was she doing? Go back her old way of life? Everything she had was based in the Lord Jesus. And I think that will help you as you understand some of what she goes through here. Verse 11, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Remember, she had run to tell the disciples. The other women saw the angels sitting there telling them. She's coming back. She, maybe she couldn't run as fast or whatever. She's making, she already ran once. She makes her way back. Peter and John have just, just, just seen the empty tomb and they've taken off and she's making her way back now to the tomb. She's alone. And here she is weeping. And she, she doesn't, you, you can just imagine this woman. She, she watched in the legal trial of, of her Lord. She watched the one that, that rescued her be beaten, abused, falsely charged, crucified by sinful men. And as a woman, she, she, all she could do is stand back. She couldn't do anything. She was a woman in a very male-dominated world. And her heart is broke. The one thing she could do, though, is I can give him a proper burial. I know how to do that. I know how to pour out love to this the Savior, I can go do that. There's nobody around. Nobody else wants to deal with a dead body because they'll be unclean. I'll go do it. And I think you can see her heart here. She, she desires to go and take care of this. That's why she was going to the tomb. And she's weeping. She doesn't figure it out yet that he's risen yet, and she just doesn't know where her Savior is. Verse 12, she saw two angels in white, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Mary's grief is so great, it's veiling the view of the resurrection. The missing body of Jesus seems to be the final picture to Mary. Mary is overwhelmed at the loss of her Lord. There's two angels sitting there. Mary is so grief-stricken of what's happened to her Lord, somehow she misses this. And I don't want to presume on it, but it is kind of amazing. They're dressed in white. They're, they're speaking to her. Look at verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? They're talking to her. She's talking with angelic beings. But she's consumed with Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes people consumed with Jesus don't see all that's going on around them. It happens. She just wants to know where he's at. And these, these angels say, look, we give you the same message. Stop weeping. Things are going to be okay. This is what he said. We see it in the larger synopsis view of, this, of the resurrection. But she just says, look, I'm weeping because they took him away. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus entreats this heart of Mary. Look at what he does with her. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turns around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Same question the angels asked. Why did they keep asking her that? I, I think there were tears in here today as we sang, but they were tears of sorrow, were they? The resurrection is not about tears. 
The resurrection is about new life. Freedom in Christ and, and they, the angels, they've been waiting for this day, man. God's going to do something for these humans down there that's incredible. They're filthy, dirty, they've rejected the Father. And he's going to go down there, he's going to live a perfect life, and he's going to die for them, and he's going to be raised from the dead. The angels are going, I don't know why you're weeping. We've been waiting for this for a long, long time. But she didn't get it yet. And here Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? She supposes him to be a gardener. We don't know why, maybe... Christ had veiled himself much like he did with the disciples on the Emmaus road. They didn't know who he was till he broke bread and then he lifted the veil and they knew exactly who he was. The Bible doesn't tell us here in the narrative. But she's set on this goal. Where is he? They have carried him away. Tell me where he's laid and I will go get him myself. I can't roll the stone but I'll, I'll get his body. I'll do whatever it takes. Just tell me where he's at. Jesus is so sweet with her. He says to her, Mary. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, Mary. That's all he said. He just called out her name. That's all he said. I love that. Mary. Immediately she turns and she says to him, Rabboni, my teacher, my master. See, Jesus just merely speaks her name and she instantly knew it was her savior. She hears his voice and she follows. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. She's a true convert of Christ. Her emotions are overwhelmed at the loss of him at this point, but, but one word, just the call of the Lord Jesus Christ and she knows who she's in the presence of. See, God does the same thing with you and I. I I could preach this text to the cows come home. There are so many passages where the Bible says that God calls you, calls to you. It's all tied to the work of the chief shepherd gathering his flock, and he starts to knock at your door and bring you out. He says, look, I'm calling you. I'm coming after you. You belong to me. I'm bringing you into my fold. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14 say it this way. Paul, grateful for the call of God in the believer's life, he says, but we should always give thanks to God for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and the faith in the truth. Now listen to this. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. When did he call you? Have you heard him call you? Scott, you're mine. I've died for you. I'm going to flood your heart with the knowledge of myself now. Sometimes that happens in a service just like this. Sometimes it happens when you're driving down the road. My buddy Aaron knows that. God floods your soul and says, I'm calling you. 
and you start to see who he is and you start to believe in him and you put your faith in him. And like Mary and like John, not having all the scriptures and everything lined up to know who he was, and maybe you're just here today and I'm just, hey, I just came because my uncle called and made me come and twisted my arm. Is that I get ham afterwards? <laughs> I don't know what your case is. But I'm telling you, you don't have to know everything the Bible says in order to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to know two things. You're a sinner, and he's a savior. Amen. My sin is great, and he's a great savior. And then the word of God will start to make sense to you, start to come off, you'll start to connect things, you go, wow, the Bible talks about this all over in it. I didn't know this was such an important book. He calls people, he does that, he brings us. One other thought on this point is that instantly it seems that Mary's fears are gone. They're just gone. Are you a fearful person? Are you full of anxiety? Jesus takes that away. He, he relieves us of those things. You know why? Because he takes death away from us. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, or just listen. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus says, look, I'm doing the same thing. He himself likewise took part. He came, added humanity to his nature so he could die, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power over death, that is the devil, and might free those that you and I, this is Mary, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We're free now. You say nothing scares you? Oh, there's things that scare me. But they can't touch me. Only unless the providential will of God allows it to happen. You're now in his hands. We sang a song. You, no one can pluck you from his hand. Now that's where you believe you are. See, now Jesus, the, the work of Christ, is this perfect love that casts out all fear, 1 John 4, 18 says. And when you look at this text... The fear, the anxiety, it's gone. In fact, verse 17 says, look, stop clinging to me, Jesus says to Mary. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brother, and he's given her instructions to them, and I will send to my Father, and notice this terminology, I will send to my Father, and to your Father, Mary, and to my God, and to your God, Mary, remember the night before he died, he said, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. Let them experience the oneness of the Trinity just like we experience. Let them be one with us. And this is amazing because he says this to Mary. I'm going to your father. I'm going to your God. He's my father and my God and I'm going to your father and your God. Hey, that's worth rejoicing over. We have a father in heaven and we have a God that loves us, knows everything about us. Nothing is hidden from his sight. You think you're alone today? Oh, God knows everything. Every cell, every thought before you formalize them. He knows your days. He's ordained them. This is who Jesus is consoling Mary with his great truth, and she's clinging to him. And, and maybe someone says, well, why does he say not to cling? Because I, I, this is my thought, but I, but I think he's trying to remind Mary, look, things are not going to be the way they were the last three years. You're used to having me around. Don't, don't hold to this. I'm not staying here. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that will fill your heart. And you'll commune with me in a way that's far better than you've ever have. Because I'm going to place my own spirit, the spirit of Christ, in you. I'm going to put it in you. 
I believe he is also saying it that I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm staying with you. I think maybe Mary had a view of, of Lazarus staying, but Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to send. I'm going to send. This is a testimony to the character of Mary Magdalene that she embraces Christ fully. She, she embraces him and she believes in him. She humbly surrenders to his lordship, to his life. And, and I appreciate Mary so much because most of us are like Thomas. I'm not going to believe till I can put my finger in his holes or thrust my hand in his side. Mary just clings to him. And Jesus says, don't, don't hang on him. I'm headed to the Father. I'm headed to the Father. Let me show you one passage in Hebrews chapter 10 because I think we have to cling to something. We can get all emotional about the person of Jesus Christ, his earthly, but... but that's good, but we have to realize that he's given us the spirit and there's things that we run to. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. I want you to run to this. This is what we run to now. This is what we cling to now that Jesus has ascended and he's at the right hand. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and some strong words there. <laughs> you have confidence to walk into the place that before you walked in, you were struck dead. Right? He's talking about the temple. He's talking about spiritual temple now. He's talking about heaven. Now, by the blood of Jesus, you can walk right in. That's why the veil tore at the death of Christ. No longer. Now, not through priests and not through all this, this ceremonial law. You're not coming to me that way. You're going to come right in. You're going to come in through the blood of Jesus. You're going to have confidence. You're going to believe. You're going to walk into my presence. You do this every time you pray, if you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you just walked into his presence. And you did it because of Jesus' blood. See, now we're running here. Now we're running to Christ here. 20, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He brought us right into there. That's the, that's the Lord's Supper here. The blood of Jesus, the flesh of Jesus. He bodily died for us. He bled for us. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's the best high priest. There's no one like him. All of them were just... Symbols, they were all types that, that to resemble Jesus Christ, that he was coming. Let us now draw near, run with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, that's salvation. Your conscience is clear. Your sins are wiped away. And you run to the Lord Jesus. You cling to him. Last thought, verse 18 in our text. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. That's what that song was about. They were singing that in first person. I have seen the Lord. The once demon-possessed woman who, who desired only fleshly things now desires Jesus. She's seen him. He's risen. He's risen indeed. You can imagine that same phrase we say to other, he's risen indeed. She's saying that to the disciples. God's using Mary Magdalene to carry this message to his disciples. And it's the same message carried to you today. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the only way. Your good works, some of you are such good people, you're good salt to the earth people, but you will fall short. 
You need Jesus. You need to believe in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one through four, remind us of the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's, he's the first fruits. He's the promise that will be raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and we're wasting our time here today. Go home and eat ham. But then he goes on to say, but Christ has been raised from the dead and your faith isn't in vain and you have freedom from your sin. And then he ends the whole thing like this and just drink this in. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of eye, the last trump for the trump will sound and the dead will rise imperishable. And we will be changed for the perishable must put on imperishable. The mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable we have put on the imperishable, the mortal has put on the immortality, then we then will come about the saying. And Ron said this early, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sing? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of a sin is law. We couldn't keep it. Sin was taking us, dragging us to hell. But, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think that's enough? He says on the heels of preaching on the resurrection, the very last verse in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, therefore, do you believe it? There's a lot, probably a lot of people in here believe that Jesus raised from the dead. The last verse says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Don't let somebody push you over with false truth. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Serve him. Serve him in your homes, your marriages, you raise your children. Serve him in the church, serve him on the job. Live your life for him, because your life is very short compared to eternity. Don't get lost in this world. It's so short. You're going to die, and you're going to be with Jesus. Be immovable. Serving the Lord constantly. Last verses, Revelations 5. I just want you to see Jesus at our last thought here before we sing a wonderful closing song. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and releases us from our sins by his blood, John says. This is John writing Revelation. Verse 17 of chapter one, he says, and when I saw him, I fell at, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. Now listen to this. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. You don't want to go to hell? He's the guy. Period. Amen? Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for recording it for us so we can find our confidence in Jesus. You did raise him from the dead. We are justified by his resurrection. Our sins are taken away, Lord. Our guilt is taken away. We're free from it, Lord. And now we are to be unmovable, serving our Lord till he comes and gets us, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that this is a life-changing Easter, a life-changing resurrection Sunday for many, Lord. Father, don't let people out of this room pierce their heart, Lord. And for us that know you, Lord, we pray that we would walk. We would put away the love of the world and walk with our Savior. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.